0: change Change. we need to change things up it's a show about change welcome to bob's basement here's your host Bob Willette. welcome to Bob's basement and it is uh, my absolute pleasure to welcome virtually into my basement the man who actually sold me my house indirectly <laughs> uh, um, Pierce Murray joins me here on Bob's basement Pierce how are you
1: good Bob nice to see you but Without beard sorry <laughs>
0: that's okay yeah you know what it's a it's a COVID thing I haven't uh, really trimmed the beard or cut my hair since October because we've been in lockdown so uh i mean i've trimmed it a little bit because otherwise it would uh, take care of my uh, uh right over the lips there uh pierce murray for those of you who don't know um is a very good friend of mine he is uh uh, a man who came into my life while I was at 103.9 Proud FM, we affectionately called him the world's oldest intern. <laughs> but Pierce, throughout the community in Toronto, uh, would probably be best known as uh, he was a real estate agent throughout the, in the city. East End of Toronto was kind of your your strength of, of your area of expertise. Pierce, would you agree? Yeah,
1: no, look, this is
0: Riverdale.
1: <laughs> it was Riverdale, yeah. Um, I worked for Daniel Camp Real Estate, and they were situated in Cabbage. And, of course, Cabbage Town was the place. But he, put he, being Daryl, put me to over at the Pape office at 484 Pape. And I thought, oh, God, because I always associated, I'm only a little snobby, the East End being a little poorer part of town. Sure, yeah. You know? But I am so grateful for selling homes in Riverdale. What a magnificent area. And look at it now. It was so good. I loved it. Every moment. Well, there,
0: this is a podcast about change, Pierce, and there's a reason I wanted to have you on. You know, you said you just said that right now. You look at it now compared to you know when you were selling homes in Riverdale in the '80s. But uh, when it comes to the idea of change, and I thought about a guy like you who was at the forefront of the uh, of of the gay rights movement here in Toronto. You were one of the first couples to get married, weren't you?
1: I was looking it over. And we got married June the 17th,
0: 2006. Wow. So that surprising. wasn't really the earliest. It wasn't the earliest. But you've been together with your partner, Taras, for how many years?
1: 44.
0: 44 years. So that's going back to 1979.
1: I think. 1979. Yeah. Amazing. No, no, no. it's before that, 77. I met him uh, on a Good Friday night at a gay dance <laughs> club. I shouldn't have be been out dancing. Good Friday it should be a. Would being a good Catholic.
0: Good to say a good Catholic boy.
1: Yeah, but there I was and I met him and uh, boy, there was something there. We just had to see each other again and within two weeks we were living together. We must have been desperate. Wow.
0: Yeah. Within two weeks living together in the 70s. That's yeah. uh, saying that a lot. Yeah. Good Friday,
1: 1977.
0: So when I say the word change to you as it pertains to the gay community in Toronto, what comes to mind for you? Oh, yeah, for
1: sure. Because I've been out since 1962 as a gay man.
0: Well, let's start there. Forget that. Forget what I just said. What happened? Like, what's it like to come out in 1962 in a starchy, you know, uh, white collar, you know, town like Toronto? Because you you grew up here, right? Yeah.
1: Well, Lullaby of Wasp Land. Um, That's right. But no, I shouldn't say that. It, it, it was difficult, you know, because all my friends were straight. So it's like you had a double life. You're not going to dismiss all the friends you've had since grade school because they're, they're your buddies, you know. But people used to make jokes about gay people, you know, fags and gearbox and, you know, many things. So I used to lead this double life. That's what I, the way I look at it. I uh, went downtown because I thought that's where the action was. And I was scared. And I... I Anyway, I ran into a man and we started talking and uh, it turned out I was in high school with his sister. So it was hands off. Of course, he was a little paranoid too. He didn't want his family to know. Everyone didn't want their family to know that they were gay. Or in those days, we were called homosexuals.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes, of course.
1: (laughs) Or as people called us gearboxes or fags or whatever it
0: was. Not Not, not, not quite Not endearing, of course.
1: Not endearing at all. But anyway, he told me where there was a club called the Music Room. And it was a dance club up at Wellesley and Young. And you had to climb up some stairs. And I went up those stairs. And I remember I was really nervous. And there was a big dike at the door. Who turned out to be such a wonderful person. Sarah Dunlop. She was a singer. She had a band and everything later on in life. And she's, what do you want? Of <laughs> a little story. Anyways, I'd like to come in. And she's, well, it's a dollar. Well, if you want, know I didn't have a dollar with me. But wow. she let me in, which was really, really nice. And there I was in this dance club. Now, I don't dance, I have two left feet. But anyway, I stood around, mesmerized or frightened, whatever it was. Because all these men were dancing and doing things, they were doing something called the chicken scratch.
0: <laughs> and, I'll have to look that one up. Yeah, you have
1: to look up that one. It became something uh, different, I think, on, on bandstand. They didn't call it the chicken scratch, but anyway. Uh, but then all of a sudden, they were all waltzing. Men
0: were and together waltzing.
1: Waltzing now, I thought, oh my god!
0: <laughs> Was that the first time you saw that?
1: Yeah. Well, I, yeah. well first off. How many people in your life Even, you know, waltz
0: Well, yeah, sure I mean, yeah. Well, uh, At that time, probably a lot of people waltz Oh, I don't,
1: did. no, I didn't waltz When I went to North Florida Fregion. That's where I went <laughs> to high school uh, We didn't waltz there, we went to sock hops and we sort of Bebopped around, whatever But uh, anyway, I thought, is this what My life's going to be? I'm going to be a waltzing queen <laughs> anyway, oh, okay. But anyway, I, I kept Going back there and the nice thing was I met a wonderful man. Not, he didn't come on to me or anything like that. He sort of took me under his wing and told me a little about the gay life and uh, made it comfortable for me. Because a lot of times, I hate to say, a lot of people were pawing people. You know what pawing is?
0: Like, like, get, like getting their hands all over you? Yeah, just that, like, that sort just... of thing.
1: Which, you know, when you're young, you're not really interested in that. And also, you don't know who you are right i mean this is you're gay you know you're gay you might have had experiences with other people but not people in the downtown world so anyway right. he was very generous and very loving and uh a great guy he's dead but uh he was just a really good mentor if you could say
0: it. i was gonna say he almost it's almost like you had a mentor into the into the, because you know there there's a, a gay community um and the in my lifetime, my goodness, even how much it's changed the LGBT community here in Toronto, around the world, especially. But, you know, you talk about the way kids would talk in schoolyards and the horrible things that they would say when it came to homosexuality. Those things were still happening when I was going to school. You know, you would get called the F word. You know, that's that was a, that was an insult, right? You know, hey, don't be a, f-, you know, that kind of thing. I am raising children now who are in a part of a world that's really not at all part of what they're experiencing. They really are. They're 11 and six years old and they've both had um, a gay woman. They had a lesbian as their, uh, their caregiver when they were in uh, daycare, whatever it was that people were afraid of. I'm not saying homophobia does not exist at all, but it is definitely, I would say it's changed for the better. Would you agree? Oh, big time.
1: (laughs) Definitely all over completely. Um, you know, there isn't so much homophobia anymore. I'm sure there's still some around, but not as much as there was back in those days.
0: Well, I mean, I I always say, you know, I mean, we know there is. I mean, all you have to do, I kind of, I say it because I used to work in Oshawa. I was like, why don't you go to Oshawa at uh, one in the morning on Friday around the bars and hold hands with your best bud and uh, and see if there's homophobia? Because there will be, for sure. There'll be some pretty horrible things, you know. You, can, you get outside that downtown core or even just Toronto in general, I think there's still a fair amount of homophobia. And that's why we still have things like Pride and whatnot. I wanted to ask you about Pride because I know you were at the forefront of the very first Pride celebrations here in Toronto. Toronto, you were part of them. Um, How have they changed along? Tell me about your first experiences with pride celebrations. And I mean, maybe even people don't know why we did them. Well, actually the first
1: pride I went to, I guess, was, I mean, pride had been going before, but the first one that I remember going to was over at Trinity Bellwoods Park. Okay. And I sort of dropped in for a little while and I didn't stay long, but the next year pride moved over to church street. And it was Sunday and it ended at five o'clock and we had to clean the street. The city of Toronto didn't clean it. We all went around and picked up trash and everything, put it in garbage play. But there was a sense of community even then, which was really important. Now, the thing, unfortunate thing was the media, like the Toronto newspapers, I won't mention names, there's a few (laughs) very they're
0: a dying breed
1: yeah they are but in those days they never showed people the joy that people were were celebrating being gay they showed people in leather or people in drag queens or whatever you know that wasn't a true picture even though people in leather and drag queens are a big part of the gay community but the newspaper's tended to play up the sensationalism of, sure. of, of what was going on in the next day. And, and, and you know, th- it was a horrible time. You know, I'm talking about pr- pride, but there was a sense of community.
0: You've been uh, a, a, a very active part of that community. I mean, you've been on boards and boards of directors and, uh, and, and different uh, steering committees for all kinds of uh, things, I believe. Were you involved with in the Gay Archives? Yes, I was. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the archives for 10 years It's great organization And if anyone wants to drop by When it opens again On Isabella Street I mean, it's a vault of knowledge And there's so much in it to be learned
0: Tell me why that, Why you feel that, that like you were a part of that for 10 years Why is it important to archive And to acknowledge And to, and to keep, uh, keep the memories Of, uh, of those times? Why is that important to you?
1: Well, it was important to keep our history alive And the struggle, the fights that people went through, people being arrested. I mean, think back. I'm going to digress a little. You think about Halloween, what it used to be like for the gay community. People standing outside the St. Charles Tavern, which doesn't exist anymore. The tower does. But they pelt the drag queens or people in drag. Tomatoes, rotten eggs. I mean, it was a horrible time what they did. I just look back and it's hard to believe what went on in the gay community, the way they were treated. I mean, it was a big thing to go down there and pelt the Queens. Yeah. What had happened along the way is uh, there was a sense of community always. with AIDS, when AIDS happened uh, in 1981 or 80, you know, it started around 1980, 81, we started hearing about people getting this gay plague or something that's starting to die. And the community came together. They organized things. They met at Jarvis Fiji. And that's how ACT started, the AIDS Committee of Toronto. Wow. You know, and then June Callwood is around in the background and she was organizing, getting because she realized we needed an AIDS hospice to take care of people. Because back in the days, I remember very well, 1982 83 if somebody got sick and they were in the hospital we had to go over there we all had to gone up wear gloves and the horrible thing again that's still etched in my memory was they would lay the person's food by the door wow and the nurses were too scared everyone was scared they were going to catch the gay plague that's what it was called the gay plague.
0: Well, wasn't it before it was AIDS? Wasn't there another acronym for it? GRID, gay-related and, immune and disease?
1: deficiency. Yeah, and immune deficiency. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. Can you believe that? Like that. Like, and the the persecution felt by the gay community all along the way would would have just been intensified so much more because of the unknown nature of what was happening with the AIDS crisis.
1: Well, people were scared. You can understand that that they were scared. But still, whatever happened to compassion? It was wonderful. People, the straight community, members of the straight community came out and supported uh, the
0: gay community. Somebody said along the way that true advocacy really starts when people who aren't in the community start fighting for the other communities. And that, that's when there's that tipping point where it goes. And, and like, that's when, you know, when you see people like Elizabeth Taylor and Princess Diana, all these big celebrities who put their support behind the, the struggle with AIDS. It, that's what really, I think, you know, opened it up, right?
1: Yeah, I had a chance to spend two days with Elizabeth Taylor. Oh my goodness. You know, and uh, I'd be interviewed a couple of days afterwards and they'd say, did you notice her diamonds or her rocks? I didn't even pay any attention to that. I just saw a wonderful woman. who was very compassionate and caring. And she went to Casey house and she went in to see every person.
0: And Casey house was that hospice that you mentioned. Yeah. The AIDS
1: hospice is the first one, the old one on Isabella. That's right. Not the brand new spectacular one that looks after so many people, but then I think we had about nine or 10 beds, but Elizabeth Taylor and princess die went into the hospice and they all went to see the guys. And, yeah. you know, I say guys because it was predominantly men, but eventually AIDS, men, women, children, yeah. you know.
0: Yeah.
1: But we had a lot of our own heroes. I think June Colwood and her committee, what a, what a great bunch of wonderful people. The people at ACT, the AIDS yeah. Committee of Toronto. You know, other organizations followed PWA,
0: Yep. Uh,
1: you know, there were so many. We all came together.
0: These are organizations that you're speaking of that I will admit I probably didn't have a lot of familiarity with uh, when you and I. Uh, first met and that would have been in the in the 2000s in the late early 2000s like 2006 2007 or so (laughs) and uh i was the uh i i was working at 103.9 proud fm i had a i had i had had been with a, a radio show called the humble and fred show for years and we were let go and i was kind of floating around uh for a while and i ended up uh producing a morning show on um Proud FM with Ken caustic and Mary Joe Eustace yes. Ken caustics now passed away I just I had I've had Mary aunt Mary Joe on this on this podcast to talk change Pierce oh, and, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah it, was, it's, it was it was a fun episode to relive some of those days but floating around that station at that time and I became the program director within about a year uh, floating around the station at that time was a, a gentleman by the name of Pierce Murray who was, at that time, in his 60s, I believe. And, <laughs> uh, late,
1: and then 60s, actually.
0: Yeah. And, <laughs> um, I had known your name because you were actually, like I said, I actually, the house that I'm doing, the basement I'm in right now, you were actually uh, involved in the sale, but you had your friend do it because you didn't like the guy who I was buying the house from. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, so I knew of you. And we kind of hit it off right away. We uh you you wanted to do a show. Uh you were just kinda of, were you semi-retired at that point from real estate? Well, I was still doing real estate, but I was
1: sort of you sometimes get yeah. a little burned out. But you know, I listened to Proud FM, you know, back then. When it launched, yeah. It was a wonderful thing. Um uh, I don't know. I always liked gay history. I thought that was really important. and uh I was listening to one day with Mark Wigmore was on it and Sean yep. Prue and Maggie Casella. Maggie, wonderful Maggie. Yeah. I phoned in because they were asking people to call in and I always oh, wow. And then I thought, just give me the idea. I had a good friend, Anne Hunter. Remember Miss Hunter? Of course. So we got together and we did a demo tape. Actually, Anne had worked for CBC for years, but she wasn't yes. on air. She was an executive of but anyway, Ann and I were doing the show. And I was there for about six months before you guys gave me the show. Right. As the world's oldest intern.
0: You, you know, had a, a passion for media in general. I mean, you you started you went to school for journalism.
1: Oh, I did. My background was journalism. And, and it, um, I worked for a newspaper in Cornwall and I got fired. What <laughs> you did know, you I get fired talking, for? So, well, I kissed a guy behind the The office of the newspaper and uh, some night watchman saw me and the next day the editor called me and we can't have your type there really let me go what year
0: was
1: that the wonderful thing about that is that I was there for most of Expo and I had a press card and I didn't (laughs) have to light up but anyway I got fired I didn't like Cornwall dreadful place but you know I lived (laughs) in Cornwall speaking of old radio people Dave Mickey, Dave Marston. Yes. I lived in a um, renovated barn with David. But anyway, uh, I came back to Toronto, and uh, I became a supply school teacher for a while. Oh, wow. And then I thought I want to go into advertising. I went to all these agencies, and they all said, go get some, you know, retail experience. So I landed up working. You might even remember, but your mom and dad would. we'll Wilco. <laughs>
0: I know Wilco, of course. <laughs> and, was a copy- I remember Kresge's as well. So, you know. Yeah,
1: Kmart. Wilco, yeah. Okay. So uh, I, I was a copywriter there. And then I moved to um, Eaton. Well, actually, I opened the store, but that's another thing.
0: Um, you're a copywriter. So you're writing commercials or you're writing stuff for I the was catalog? I
1: copy paper for the newspapers, for magazines, okay. whatever. And then I went to Eaton's catalog. And then I went to Simpsons. And I stayed there for a while. And I. They promoted me. I was a fashion coordinator for men's advertising. But wow. then, then somebody said to me, you should be in real estate. And I remember asking my real estate agent years ago, I said, do you think I should go into real estate? And he said, no, you wouldn't be any good. <laughs> I loved it.
0: Yeah, he knew you'd be cutting into, his, uh, cutting into his business.
1: Yeah, but it was the best thing I ever did. And I worked for such a wonderful company, Daryl Kent real estate. Yeah, uh, we we went for about ten years. and Then Daryl unfortunately died. But what an amazing company, gay, straight, whatever, everyone blended together. Yeah, and it was a big family. So I, I would say I'd say that's one of the highlights of my life. But also being involved with the gay community, you know.
0: Well, that's kids. what brings me to the 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 point that. Uh, What is it like? Like, Obviously, you have to be very confident and uh, self-assured to, you know, be a person to go and sell homes and whatnot. But to be, you know, in your mid-60s and go, you know what, I'm going to do a radio show, even though I've never done radio before. Where does that come from?
1: Well, you know, that's kind of really scary because uh, I always thought, and this is a derogatory comment about myself, I always thought my voice sounded like super fag. (laughs) so. No, but it's truth, you know, because I don't know, when you listen to your voice, it's different than when it comes across the radio. Oh, of course. I just felt that there was so much gay history that needed to be told. That's why I approached you, because I thought people have to know about our gay history. They have to know about the struggles. They have to know about all the great people that have been in the gay community. So I, I, that's my idea of doing a show you know, the most intimidating thing for somebody starting a radio is the mic,
0: the microphone, right? The microphone.
1: And you told me, you said, eventually you won't even notice uh, it's there.
0: And yeah. You're
1: right. And I listen to some of the early shows and talk about being stilted. <laughs> you know, uh, Because I think after a while you lose your fear and you just, you're just an on air person. You're just, you're talking to somebody. That's what it's like. You're having a conversation. That is you know, the whole be- point of it. Even though you're behind a microphone, but you're talking yeah. away and you're just you. But
0: it- well, and I think that's why it worked. You know, you had a show, we called it, uh, you, uh, you called it A Fabulous Morning, and at first it was with Pierce Murray and Ann Hunter, and uh, and moved on, but uh, Pierce Murray uh, did uh, A Fabulous Morning and wrote a book, too, yes. uh, of the stories. Let's talk, uh, let me ask you, before we get, go into kind of the specifics of, of A Fabulous Morning. I want to ask you, because, again, everything that I try to talk about, through I'm I'm over about 30 episodes into this podcast, and uh, it's all about change and the idea of change. Um, You'd mentioned the community. We've talked a lot about the community. I want to ask you about the physical nature of the community in that in the 70s and in the 80s, the village in Toronto was so important like Church in Wellesley, you had said, you, you said, you know, the, the, the pride, the first pride you went to was over at Trinity Bellwoods. You didn't really, you stayed there for a bit, but you obviously, you have an affinity for the village. You, uh, you knew a lot of places, you know, you talked about the bars on Young Street, right around the corner from the village. Talk about, let's talk about the evolution of the village in your time.
1: Well, the village uh, actually became a focal part of the gay community. When there were any demonstrations, we would meet over there, right? At Church yeah. and Wellesley when there would be a rally, it would be over there. We would meet. yeah, and, and that's where everyone came together. I mean, it's kind of interesting to see the way the gay communities evolved. There are people that were out and, and like that, but no, there's so many people that are out. Like yeah. it, it is the sin to be gay anymore. That's right. Well, <laughs> it's, I, it's, you- it's, it's so important. I mean, So many wonderful people. If you think about it, look at the premier. Yeah. Kathleen Wynne, she was gay. But also, we had so many allies. Barbara Hall. But Um, all sorts of good people were involved. We also had a lot of strong allies. We had a lot of good people. But we also had to fight a lot
0: of battles. The village, almost, in my opinion, and maybe I'm wrong, as, as an ally, the physical nature of of the village isn't quite as important as it used to be. Church and Walsley was a safe place, like you said. You you could not be out elsewhere, but you could be out in the village. You could go to Woody's, or you could go, you know, you could go to uh, exactly, <laughs> and and would we, be okay. But now you, as a as a gay couple, uh, uh, as a trans person, uh, trans is a whole other uh, issue, obviously. But um, issue, too a huge issue um, but I mean you can go with your husband to a restaurant anywhere in Toronto and people will bat an eye right. anymore But, but that, so that's why the village was so important so kind of what do you think the village means now?
1: I wonder <laughs> I really do yeah. especially since uh, we've had this pandemic going on sure. everything's yeah. been closed so the village you know there's nothing going on bars are closed yeah. restaurants are closed uh, yep. clubs are closed but you know the important thing if we look at it the village was a really important thing i i look at it you know even two three four years ago bruce MacArthur, you know right and the police the police have not been friends of the gay community
0: they have not been friends they of the have gay not community. been
1: friends of the gay community nope. they can that see is- they were in denial when people said that they felt there was a serial killer amongst us and they did nothing. Let's face it. uh, The police, not all the police are homophobic. Remember back in the old days, you only had to have a grade eight or a grade 10 education to be a cop.
0: (laughs) Wow. You know, and you talk about, you know, the, the the battles and one of the, and really the the birth of pride in Toronto is after the bathhouse raids. Bathhouse
1: raids in 1981.
0: by By the, by the Toronto police. And then, you know, in the, 90s, 2000s, even maybe there was the female bathhouse. Yeah, so like that's not that long ago, and that place got raided. There is not, you know, there is a lot of work to be done between the relationship. And I know they have an LGBTQ liaison officer, and I know that they uh, they want to be involved in Pride. But as a member of the community, it it, it, you're right, it is. And then the Bruce MacArthur thing, uh, horrible, horrible, chilling situation. And to know that the police ignored. People's concerns. Yeah, eight
1: men were murdered. Yeah. And there were a couple of other ones. If you read the paper recently about how a man went to the police and reported Bruce MacArthur, and the policeman dismissed him and said, "Oh, you know, they were having rough sex or something."
0: Yeah, right. You know, and
1: it just really gets me. And having the liaison, you know, that's a little token.
0: Wow. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. You know,
1: yeah. we should have more gay police
0: why would somebody want to become a, a police officer? I don't. I
1: think, future, given I, the you know, in hopes that they could provoke some change.
0: Right. You know, yeah, from within. I, right.
1: I mean, gay pride now is a mainstream event. You know, Absolutely. It's a time to have a big party. Let's go downtown to pride, which is wonderful. People bring their families, and it's a great day of celebration. Does it really mean anything? Is it just another day?
0: Well, that's an interesting uh, topic as well—the evolution of pride and how how pride has changed. How the the Pride Committee has had so much, so many issues internally, and people who maybe uh, are allies of uh, you know who would, who would call themselves an ally of of, of the. Of the community but not close to the community the way I've been close to the community don't even realize the infighting that's gone on within Pride uh, the organization Oof. and whether or not it should be a big party and whether or not you should have Bud Light as a main sponsor and have guys dressed up as Trojans giving out Trojan condoms or, or is or is that sensationalizing it, going back to what you said earlier about the, the you know, the, the newspaper is only showing the leather daddies and the drag queens. Like, are, is, is it doing, is, is a party like Pride doing the community any favors?
1: Well, I think they're not doing uh, pictures, not leather daddies and uh, people in uh, costumes or drag or whatever. I think they're showing more of the family because the other thing, so many people in the gay community have gotten married. A lot of people have children now in the gay yes. community. People being yes. been able to adopt, which we couldn't do before. You know, being gay is, you know, you're loving. Family we, is very important yeah. in the gay community now.
0: I think but, that's a big part of the way, you know, uh, we've been, we've raised my children uh, is, uh, you know, just love is love. People can love whoever they want to love. It doesn't but, matter. Do you think they're the exception? I mean, do you think there's I don't. You know what? No, I don't, I don't think so. I think that there are people, I think the generation above me, so you see, you know, uh, I think the, uh, the, my parents' generation still hold on to some ignorant ideas about the gay community. And uh, I think, but I think people my age, so, you know, I am at the end of Gen X. Um, you know, just but I think the boomers still have a lot of issues with uh, with the gay community. I think Gen X has come a long way. And I think I honestly think these millennials, these kids now, my kids now, I'm, I'm telling you, the idea of homophobia is absolutely foreign to them. I think I think this is this generation that's coming up now that, that these children are the ones that honestly, I mean, it's in their cartoons. Now, like that, that, that people are with, you know, men are with men and, and and women are with women. It's become such a normalized part of their culture that it's. I, I'm not saying it won't exist. I'm saying that would be. Uh, that's the exception now. Moving forward, I hope. I think it is too,
1: but I I see that you know kids at school now they've got classes and they talk about homosexuality or being gay yes. and things like that. They talk about being
0: non-binary.
1: Yeah. That's the other see all these new words.
0: Yeah, they talk about being non-binary, and they talk and and, and they discuss uh, you know the idea of of, of of transgender and like they're talking about things that we did not talk about in school, and that's just you know, you know thirty years ago. You know, for me, I, you know, I would have you know in high school. I mean, I went to Catholic school too, so I had a nun teach me sex ed. So I mean, well, know, what's that me? word? <laughs> no, 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 Sister Kid, she was great. Anyway, um, you know, you talk about you know uh, the whole. Pride thing and uh, w- you know, what does it mean? Um, I don't know if you remember uh, somebody who we worked with at Proud, AC Rowe. Oh, yeah, for sure. Very
1: talented young woman.
0: Who work, yeah, who works at CBC now herself. She actually, the one of the last years that we were still in the village uh, running uh, Proud FM, she came up with the tagline for Pride that year and that was Celebrate, Demonstrate. And I thought it was a perfect way to try to encompass what pride should be and that's you know let's celebrate what we've done but let's also demonstrate and uh and realize that not enough has been done and also acknowledge all the fights that have come before
1: i think we are we're making a lot of progress i mean oh, for sure. when i think of all the young people that discover when they're two or three years old that that they're in the wrong body or the wrong sex and the parents are paying attention more to that I mean not all of them but a lot of them are aware because I know a number of people that have transitioned years ago it used to be older men we'd see them in restaurants because it, it wasn't an easy thing to transition
0: but well, the kid, hormone therapy wasn't what it was. Yeah, We're
1: you know. seeing young kids at two and three years old that saying, you know, mommy, I, I, yeah. something's wrong
0: <laughs> with this yeah. story. And it's, that's not easy. That's not always easy for a parent to, uh, to kind of wrap their head around. But uh, the, the more education that there is, the better.
1: Well, that's the key word there, Bob. Education.
0: Yeah.
1: In a straight community towards the gay or LGBTQ2 community. There was a lot of fear.
0: And fear of the unknown, right?
1: Yeah, fear of the unknown. And, well, if you're a little different, even in school, if you remember, there were kids that were nerds or a little sure. different. I'm not talking about their sexuality. They were just a little different. They were a little off.
0: They call them slow or retarded. Oh, or, you know,
1: the things that they, they did to people, you know, yeah. it wasn't a nice time. But, you know, I think the world is changing for
0: the better let's go back to proud FM and let's talk about how you developed, uh, you know, I worked with you quite a bit and you worked with a, f- a bunch of different producers and you did a show called a fabulous morning. And it was a look back at the kind of the gay history of Toronto, but also the art scene in Toronto. And uh, uh, you got to, uh, you got to hang out with some pretty cool people. Thanks to that show.
1: Oh, I did. I'm so grateful for I, so many well, first off, I think you got after me a little while because I was going after all the old rock and rollers. I wanted some star quality. That's right. Know? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, one of my favorite people, and and she found out that we were a gay radio station, and may she rest in peace was Leslie Gore. I right. love Leslie Gore. You know, and, uh, Tilda Clark, you know, all these great old people, but they were great. But then we got to meet other people about the arts. We dealt with Stratford. We dealt with Shaw. Sure. You know, yeah. Well, we had the Prime Minister on our show twice. Which,
0: well, that's the thing. You became the on Pride Sunday. the the, uh, the Prime Minister of Canada would call you, Pierce Murray, to talk to us. Yeah, which so, uh, was little, I'm I'm proud agree. Of
1: it. well. It it was nice. Things sure had changed. But he he's an interesting man. The thing I loved about Pride, FM, they let me pretty well do anything I wanted. I had. So many people
0: on the show! Oh my gosh, you had uh, I I went with you. Uh, we uh, we interviewed Kim Cattrall together. Yes, uh, um, right. <laughs> I went I went with you for that one, and uh, um, you 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 like you, the the amount of people. A lot of a lot of Broadway stars. A lot of uh, a lot of, a lot of like you said. A lot of old school singers. Um, you uh, but you worked it. You worked hard at it, and uh, it was mo- it was a, it was a it was a passion project for you that uh, culminated in a book. And what what's in the book? Well, the book
1: was fun. I didn't come up with the idea of the book. Uh, Mark Bonham, who is a wonderful philanthropist and gives so much to the gay community, he has done so many things for all of us. He came up to me and he said, look, we should turn your show into a book. And and he said, we'll have it out by Christmas. This was back in September. Wow. I thought, how are we going to get a book together? He listened to, uh, we got him the tapes. And, uh he put put the book together it was a fun job i miss it I yeah mean, you do i mean i quit doing my show back november 30th of uh 2020 and i i really didn't want to but i didn't want to bring anything home i didn't want, because i was going out interviewing people and maybe, yeah. maybe i was a little paranoid or something sure it's easy when you're at the station and you're talking to somebody on the phone you're doing the interview but when you're out there in the public, and uh, I just didn't want to bring anything home. But I, there is the day goes by that I don't miss being on radio.
0: I'd love. Well, to- I tell you what, Pierce. It sounds like you need a fabulous morning podcast.
1: <laughs> I don't think I'd be as good as you. I'll tell you I'd be a little well, nervous. Well,
0: Pierce, but- you have been uh, honest to goodness one of the kindest uh, one of the, one of the most giving and generous human beings I've ever met in my life. And, uh, your passion for the community and you're, uh, you know, you're a guy who I, I you know, I, I just, I feel you there's like such great positivity that comes out to you. You've been so kind to my family, uh, around along the years. And, uh, and, and I know so many people who, uh, who agree with me. Um, I, it was, it's so nice to catch up with you and, um, you know, uh, I do. I miss hearing you on the radio, but uh, you know what? It was a good run. You had a great run. You had some really fun shows, and uh, um, I, I wish nothing but the best to you and Taros. You're you're really one of my favorite people.
1: Well, you're very kind, honestly. But I also I have to give thanks. I've been given so much.
0: You believed in me. I mean,
1: <laughs> here I was, this little old man. I keep <laughs>
0: <laughs> no but you know what you're a little old man with great ideas and a ton of stories and, 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 a, and a passion for the, for the history of the gay community and uh, you know I think that's where I think at least while I was there I'm proud to say with, uh, that um, I think we did we did the best we could with, with, with the resources we had to represent the community as, as much as we could It was a lot of fun and we had a ton of
1: fun. We oh my had A lot of fun, I and mean, we met a lot of great people. And a lot of people came through that station.
0: Oh my gosh! And you think
1: about the people that came and went and everything, but th- th- there was so many people there that boy, we really blessed.
0: Absolutely, i I'm, I always try to acknowledge as well. I appreciate you sharing your story and your uh, your perspective on change and the uh, the change that you've seen from a uh, from a, a, a I guess a, a young man. In the early '60s, coming out to uh, is it, it's it's a phenomenal story, and I could I could listen to you tell your stories all day. Um, thank you so much well, for uh, for coming you. on to Bob's Basement. I, I'm
1: glad I must come in your basement again. I've got lots more stories. Yes, <laughs> but save those for a rainy day.
0: Okay. Absolutely, absolutely. We gotta stop making changes. This has been Bob's Basement. Thanks for listening. Thanks. That's the way it is. For more information, email Bob. At Bob Willett at gmail.com. That's Bob Willette. Like Gillette. With a W. Follow Bob on Twitter. At Bob Willett. Bob's Basement is available where you find your favorite podcasts. Until next time. Well, that's the way it is.